Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Action Addicts Podcast, or welcome if it's your first time. I'm your host, Scott Wiley, and you're listening to the latest episode and the beginning of Spooky Action Cinema. Which is our October special episodes that we're going to be putting out every week for the entirety of October. And as you'll have already seen by the title of today's episode, we're doing 1986's John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. Joining me this week, we have returning guest Patrick Bartlett. And for those of you who don't know, Patrick is a bit of a John Carpenter specialist. He has been a horror guy, I think it's safe to say. Uh, pretty much from the word go. So if you've listened to our episode on the 2017 Power Rangers show that only came out a couple weeks back, then you've met Patrick before. I'll also say, just so that you understand the joke that gets said right from the word go, a couple months back we actually were going to have Patrick on, well we did have Patrick on, to talk about another John Carpenter film, They Live, and uh, that has been one of my like main episodes that I wanted to do for the show pretty much since the inception of the show and it was a fantastic episode and it always sounds like I'm overselling it but honestly we had such a good conversation we really broke it down I got way more nerdy about film technique and the things I liked about it and subverting expectations and the blending of genres which just as a spoiler we don't really go into it too much in this one it all makes sense when you get into it we kind of go all over the place but that one was really really good and I was so irritatingly disappointed because that episode is lost. And uh, I'm going to make a joke about that probably every time Patrick comes on now. Because it was like two hours plus long and we did the entire thing and now the episode is just, it's just gone. So I hope you like Big Trouble in Little China. It is a classic. I'd be very, very surprised if you haven't seen it. And I figured that we might as well start this spooky action cinema thing off with a classic Originally, we were going to be starting off with something different, but I've swapped the episodes around, so tune in for the end to hear what next week's episode is going to be, and I hope you enjoy this conversation between myself and Patrick. I'm going to throw you over to us now, and enjoy the ride. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. And joining me today, we have Patrick Bartlett returning from the Power Rangers episode and the Lost Time Memorial They Live episode. <laughs> how are you doing? Yes, Pat? That, that was a thing that happened. Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm okay, how um, are you? I'm loath to, to, to give any kind of bearings on time of when I'm recording this because I'm painfully aware of the fact that uh, I've got six episodes that were recorded before I'm married that are going to come out probably two months after I'm married. 
So there's going to be a lot of cognitive dissonance for people listening who may be very confused. So I'm really trying to not uh, <laughs> add to that by being like, yeah, I'm doing good, man. We just got married. And then next week I go, I'm looking forward to getting married. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fine. People, people, people deal. They'll, they'll, they'll figure it out. And we'll today, later, as out. I will have already said in the intro, we're going to be talking about Big Trouble in Little China, a film that I rewatched earlier today. And uh, I actually rewatched it not that long ago. It was some it was some point earlier this year. And every time I rewatch it, I always forget how much I enjoy it. So I I thoroughly enjoyed rewatching this. Did you rewatch it, or have you seen it so many times that? Ah, okay. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I did twice because I watched it once on Monday because it was fucking pouring. And um, there's like there's certainly like, there's certain things I watch when it's raining, and I kind of gone through them all because been raining so much lately um but then i was like we were gonna record this anyway and i was like oh that's perfect like that'll work out and um so i watched it and it was funny because like um people often get mad at me when they look at my like carpenter ranking because um this is in like the bottom half like which is but it's like it's like my whole thing is like uh tj Bach, like it's like in the wow i will see uh uh connington uh on Twitter, we feel like it's the, the Tony Scott guy, when he talks about um, Tony Scott, where he's like, even the ones he doesn't like as much, he still loves. It's kind of my whole thing with Carpenter, where just like, I'm not saying I don't like Big Trouble in Little China very much. I'm just saying I like the other stuff better. It's not in any way insulting that movie. I do like that movie. But then I watched it um, again Monday, and I was like, wow, like I really, that was weird. Like it was like, I think I've enjoyed that more than I ever have before. And then I watched it again yesterday. And I was just like, yeah, it's weird. It's like, I've like, I, it's still not necessarily going to like break into like the top half, but I was just like, it's funny how like, I feel like, I don't know. It's, 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 I've gotten to a point where I connect with it on a different level, I guess. I don't know. But like, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's rad. And it's Carpenter. Like, it's funny because it's kind of Carpenter at his kind of weirdest point in his career where it was just like, kind of just throwing shit at a wall. Because, like, after the thing kind of tanked everything for, like, a hot minute, like, you end up with this Starman and, like, other like, weird, weird, weird things that were, like, not what you would expect from him. But, like, this is one of his most... It's, I guess it's a kind of the transition to, like, the more kind of fun stuff that he did. Because, like, the early part of his career is very bleak. And like the second half of the career, I feel like is more like jolly. And I feel like this is one of the bigger ones, like this and like Escape from LA. I guess more odd that I think is actually really cool. It's different for Carpenter, but I think it's really cool. Like it has like a very fun, like everything is in like high stakes, but it's all very like I don't know. It's hard to describe, but it's just like the, the general vibe of the movie, the tone of it is very is much lighter than you would expect from like the guy who made like Halloween and the thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I also find it hilarious because The Thing is one of those films that I think people forget didn't do very well because now it's considered a classic and every I don't think I've ever met anyone that doesn't like The Thing. And like you said, it, it, it did not have that response when it first came out. And it's kind of like the Back to the Future films in that, you know, the second film, people weren't sure what if they really liked it and now it's the one everybody likes but back to the future three kind of had the reverse now it's the one that everybody kind of hates and now people are just like all over the place but 
I do find it funny how certain films, as time passes, their reputation basically 180s, and it gets to the point that people even forget that they disliked it to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's kind of like my whole thing with uh, like the uh, Indiana Jones movies, where it's like, I don't dislike any of them, but when I was like a kid, I remembered like, I mean, obviously the Raiders is like my favorite one, but then like I remembered not liking Temple of Doom and liking uh, Last Crusade a lot. And then like when I watched them again, like when the DVDs and the Blu-rays and everything were coming out, it was like, oh no, Temple of Doom is actually awesome. And like Last Crusade is good, but it's not as good as people say it is. You know what's funny? is that's pretty much exactly how I felt. Indiana Jones will definitely get some episodes long into the future on this show, but I remember not being the biggest fan of Temple of Doom. I mean, don't get me wrong, I liked them all as a kid, but I feel like the third one had an unfair disadvantage for a lot of us in that the chemistry between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery, it kind of carries that film a lot more than people realize, and just having Sean Connery in it, I think elevates it for a lot of people. But when you rewatch it, years later and you know all of that and you remember all those scenes the rest of the film yeah i I agree i actually think it is the weakest of the three if you take out connery that alone just kind of cuts off a lot of what i like about it yeah i mean and i mean for the record i don't dislike four i feel like because i I love the characters so much and like i don't i i don't think it's i I mean i'm not going to say it's the best one by any stretch of imagination that would i mean it's obviously the fourth best in any way shape or form but I don't hate it. Like, it's fine. Like, it's just like, I don't know. It's like, I do feel like that series, it is kind of like, it's kind of like the Hellraiser series, where like everyone's a little bit worse than the one that came before it. <laughs> I think every time I, because I've seen Kingdom uh, of the Crystal Skull a couple times. Uh, well, probably more than a couple times, actually, because every now and then I'll rewatch it. And I, and I do the same thing every time. But I, I don't now because I remember it's going to happen. The first 20 minutes of that film, every goddamn time, I think, this isn't as bad as I remember. Why did I hate <laughs> this? I actually really like this. And then after it's revealed the twist and the double agent, and then once the guy from Transformers, which is all he was at the time, I'm sorry. I know people like LaBeouf, but at the time, he was just a Transformers kid. Uh, once- a, he was from Even Stevens, thank you, all right, <laughs> on the Disney Channel. I, I thoroughly enjoyed Even Stevens. <laughs> but my point being, is that, yeah, once he shows up, and it's not his fault, but once he shows up, the film, in my opinion, just doesn't, it, it falls apart. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is the bits I remember. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Big Trouble in Little China is definitely a weird film. It's funny, too, because I probably haven't seen as many uh, Carpenter films as you have. I know I haven't seen all of them, uh, for sure, because growing up, I was an action kid, not a horror kid. And that was heavily influenced by the fact that my dad and granddad were action people, not horror people. And even my mom, who did like horror, she's not really a film person, so didn't really get much influence there. But I have seen quite a few of Carpenter's films as an adult, and obviously anything that has some of the action stuff in it and anything that has weird and the magic elements. And like you said, he's written so many films as well that I'd be hard-pressed if anyone out there can honestly say, oh, I've never seen anything that Carpenter isn't involved in in some way because he's just done so much, it would be almost impossible. Yeah, I was going to say, even like in terms of like, just that, even the thing, if you like, it's like things that were influenced by him, that would be fucking impossible, I feel like, at this point. Oh, yeah, definitely. I don't know if you've seen or not, and this is going to date this episode, so whatever, <laughs> but 
uh, Shout Factory recently put out a thing with John Carpenter, and uh, it's got something to do with Godzilla. So I'm very, very excited for that. Yeah, me too. I have no idea, but yeah, I'm I'm super into it. But yeah, so when you rewatch this, or or when you watch this for the first time, I'm very curious. Like, what was your gut initial reaction to this film? Because I think a lot of people don't know what to make of this, especially back then. Now I think it's probably less strange because uh, we live in a world where we've had a lot of magic and superheroes and fantasies and technologies improve. But when this came out, I, I yeah, I think reactions would have been all over the shop. Well, that's like my whole thing is like with this, I mean, to, to answer your first question, my like my original reaction, it's funny because like when I got into Carpenter, I didn't really know like Carpenter. It's like the thing you were talking about before where it's like uh, he's done so much that you don't really know. Because like when I was a kid, I loved the fuck out of They Live. I used to watch it all the time. And then like I ended up seeing like Halloween and like I saw The Fog because it was basically like the same people who made Halloween essentially. So it's kind of like another sequel and they should Halloween too and like stuff like that. But I didn't really know that there was all this connection until like later on. And like when I got into like when I worked in like a video store, I would just kind of go through directors careers. When I got to Carpenter, it was like I was just kind of going through stuff. And it was like the thing with Big Trouble in Little China was that like I had heard so many people say things where they were like, that's like not only their favorite Carpenter movie, it's like one of their favorite movies in general. And so like when I first watched it, I was like, I mean, it's good and everything. Like I enjoy this, but like you like this better than like Halloween? Like you like this better than The Thing? You like this better than Escape from New York? Like what the fuck? But also I feel like the other thing is I don't think it gets enough credit for because I was every every time I've watched it, but especially most recently, thinking about it, like I don't think it's enough credit for how much it influenced things. Like, I mean, Christ, they've so many like video game people have openly admitted, like Christ, like Raiden, they basically blatantly ripped off his design from Big Trouble Little China. Hundred percent. Yeah, and like they admit that, and it's just like because if you look at it, there were so many things in this movie that were like ripped off wholesale for like things that are now like, again, like you mentioned the superhero stuff, but it's like, that's the whole thing is like, I feel like it was so fucking ahead of its time that it now plays better than it ever has because of the fact that like, it is so kind of seeped into pop culture by everyone kind of taking from it. It's like, it's, it's so a part of everything that now when you watch it, it kind of feels fresh again because it's like you're seeing kind of the source of everything, like the, the freshest possible version of all these things you've now seen second and third and fourth and fifth hand. Yeah, no, I agree. When I was rewatching it, it well, first of all, Mortal Kombat is quite happy to admit that it, it you know, almost everything in it is an inspiration from something else. Like mm -hmm. it's basically a. Uh, well, originally, it was a culmination of other things brought together into one place. Like, that's why all of its uh, characters have such wildly different feeling backstories. And that's why I really like it as a world that you could build a really good film franchise of if you actually did it properly. But that's a whole nother rant that I've had. <laughs> and uh, yeah, when because the, the three storms, uh, obviously, the, the obvious one is Raiden because, yeah, the, he's just Raiden with a bigger hat. However, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the 2003 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated show, but 
the Shredder has four bodyguards, and it's the Storms. Uh, they don't have the powers, but they are visually pretty much identical to them. They all have a different weapon. They all have red glowing eyes and really like low level supernatural powers. And I just remember thinking this film has been taken from by so many different franchises across film, television, comics. And unless until you go back and rewatch these things, you don't know. And it, and it's not until it sticks out at you like, oh, yeah, that's quite clearly the same design. Clearly, whoever made that show was a big fan of this film. And I love stuff like that, you know? Yeah, no, that, that's the thing. Is, like, that's why I think it's cool is like, I mean, the other thing is just that like it has the weirdest like from like, because, okay, my whole thing is I I truly, truly, truly love um, Carpenter's visual style, but it's generally not that like instantly impressive to look at. Um, whereas this, the whole reason that I have not, I never upgraded the Shout Blu-ray and I'm still waiting is because I know that, this, that they're going to release a 4K at some point and I need to have that. And like, cause it's, it's just such a fucking gorgeous to look at thing. Like everything in this movie is just like every, like every frame, like all of his frames are always great, but like in terms of this, everything in terms of the colors and just like the weirdness of like the designs and stuff is just so visually interesting that I just, it's, it's impossible not to just stare at for me. Like, it's just like, I can't draw focus really from the screen when it's on like in any way shape or form it's just it's so fun to look at yeah i think some of that is the fact that like you say the the film's title it sounds silly but it actually kind of encapsulates the film perfectly because the whole film basically takes place in chinatown but it feels like you're going to an an almost to an alternate dimension and that's yep. that's clearly done by design but the second jack turns his truck into that alley it's literally like he goes through a portal and in it and is now in another world of magic and monsters and everybody can do martial arts and everyone can you know jump 60 feet in the air and do this ruzia type stuff and i love it but i think considering when what year this was made i can understand why this probably resonated with some people maybe more than others and the other thing that is so funny when you go back and rewatch it now is I'm not even going to attempt to rattle off all the names because I'll be here all day. But every Asian actor who was in any kind of film at the time or in the future, they're pretty much all in this film, even if they're just bad guy number six. And it's so <laughs> funny watching it now because everyone I go, I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that guy. And it's like, OK, I'm giving up now. I'm running out of breath. <laughs> well that's the other thing that's funny is like the cast in general like i do think it is kind of because you okay if you watch the movie like a lot of people see um jack burton as the hero of it <laughs> um then they are wrong he, exactly he's the comedy sidekick it's just because he's kurt russell and also because he's the audience surrogate you're seeing it through his eyes but like kurt's like playing it like he knows that he's like the comedy sidekick. So that's actually why I think the movie does. I always the movie worked is cause like it's Kurt Russell going like totally like chewing the fuck out of the scenery in a way he never really, cause even like 
there were times he did movies, especially for Carpenter, where he, like he wasn't really acting as much as he was kind of just like playing around. Like it was like when he's doing Snake Plissken, he's basically doing like Good, the Bad, the Ugly, but he's just doing it within like the parameters that he's being given. And this one, a lot of people say he's doing John Wayne. I was like, I mean, I think vocally, yes. But also, I just think it's fucking Kurt Russell being like, I can do whatever the fuck I want. Like, I'm in a movie with fucking weird fucking guys using lightning from their fingers. Like, why the fuck can't I do a weird voice and, like, talk in, like, this particular, like, timber or whatever. And it's like, I think he's great. I think the fact that, like, Kim Cattrall as, like, the, like, again, like, who seems like the female lead but like is again is kind of like the secondary because the whole movie is about the other girl. So I think the thing that's funny is just the way the cast is where the, the biggest stars are technically secondary characters. That's the thing I think is really amusing watching it now. Yeah. And I think that was a hundred percent done deliberately. And I think there's a couple of different layers to that. And I don't want to get too far off track, but I've heard quite a few people point out that in 1986, if you wanted to get people to come into your film, if you had made the film poster, say, starring Dennis Dunn, James Hong, and Victor Wong, uh, it probably wouldn't have got anywhere. But if you had Kurt Russell and Kim Cattrall on the poster and tricked the audience into thinking it was about them, well, now everybody in America and around the world would happily go and see it. And then they don't even realize that they're actually watching a film where these two, as you quite rightly said, are along for the ride, but they're really not the main characters. And the thing with uh, Kurt Russell and that voice is, to me, the character of Jack Burton is a wannabe, which, you know, is, is not a hot take, but I think he's putting on that voice because he desperately wants to be the strong American tough guy. And every time he gets into a situation, he's basically surviving on pure luck. Sometimes... <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, in fairness, because I did think this when I rewatched it, he is the reason the group gets out. Like, I've seen quite a lot of people complain that, or not complain, sorry, but say, oh, you know, he's basically the, the, a bumbling idiot. Like, he doesn't contribute anything. And that's not true. There are actually a, a quite a few situations he gets the group out of or he gets uh, Wang out of so that then Wang can basically beat everybody up in like two seconds flat. But I like the fact that it's a, a team effort. Yes, he's an idiot who doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's trying his best. And the friendship that Jack and Wang have between them, I find that very real because they give each other shit. They don't care about what they say to each other. But underneath it, there is still a real friendship of like, I've got your back, even though I don't know what the hell I'm walking into. I don't know what the F is going on, but I'm your friend. So take me into hell with you, you know? Yeah, no, that's I, I, and also it's funny because like they ended up. I always forget this is eighty six. It feels like and visually it looks like so like nineties to me, uh, like with this the way the colors and everything are. But yeah, it's always funny to think about like this was right before Prince of Darkness, which then Carpenter took Dennis Dunn, and Victor Wong, and was like, "Hey, come over here," and like he's like he kept using them, and like that one where Dennis Dunn is the comedy sidekick, but he's very fucking good in that role. Whereas in this, he gets to be like the actual hero, even though everybody remembers Carussell as the hero. But yeah, no, like across the board, I mean, James Hong as the villain is fucking awesome. Like, it's funny, like that dude has just finally in recent years started kind of getting credit for all he's done. But like, 
things like this show that he could have, I mean, it's, it's good that he's been a character actor. So he's had consistent work for decades, but like he should have gotten credit before this for how well he is able to do things like this. Like his whole thing of Lopan is just fucking awesome. Like he is like simultaneously like really funny and really like legitimately kind of scary, which is like what you want, but, usually you don't necessarily achieve especially like in like an action horror hybrid kind of a thing but i feel like he's fucking great like i think the look obviously is a big part of it that like carpenter did but like it's also just his performance is so fucking good no i agree james hong has been one of my favorite actors ever since i was a kid and this film was a big reason for that um his voice is iconic it's part of the reason why i can guarantee you People who are of a certain age, you have seen a cartoon show and he has been in it. <laughs> James Hong has over 450 credits to his acting resume, which is uh, no small fee. Uh, the <laughs> earliest of which is in 1954. He has been in so much stuff. And I find it so funny because I don't know if you have ever seen the Jackie Chan Adventures cartoon show that they made in the 2000s. I might have, but I don't really remember. So, uh, James Hong it plays one of the villains for one of the series called Dao Long Wong. And uh, stop me if this sounds familiar to you, but he's a really ancient and old wizard that casts magic. And there are literal episodes in that show where he's in that they might as well have just remade Big Trouble in Little China. And he has played a villain in so many cartoons over the years. And like you say, the fact that he's also done so much comedy work because he's Mr. Ping in all the Kung Fu Panda films, you know, the goose that raises Jack Black's Poe. And he's done so much stuff and people just don't even realize it's the same person because he's got such a range with his voice. He can sound menacing, terrifying, friendly, old, young at the drop of a hat. And it's just insane that it's taken this long for people to notice how good he is. Yeah, I mean, I, but I mean, I guess better late than never. Because I mean, like, that's my whole thing is like, I think the thing with Carpenter, it's like, um, like Rob and I were talking last night about um, how like the, uh, like basically the, the four horsemen of horror, essentially, like of um, Carpenter, uh, Hooper, uh, Romero, and Craven, um, where um, kind of Carpenter's the last man standing. And I was like, and the thing that's funny is I feel like everybody tries to give Carpenter his flowers and he's constantly just like, fuck off. <laughs> like, it's just like, I want no part of you. Like, you weren't there to like fucking make sure that I kept having a career. I basically just kept doing this by sheer force of will. You know, you can come around now and be like, oh, I love your work. Fuck off. I was like, I do love about Carpenter. We're just like, he's just like the, maybe in my opinion, one of the best filmmakers, I mean, my personal favorite, but like one of the best filmmakers of all time. But like, made so much stuff that at the time nobody cared about that since we all saw it as kids it was just like it became like fundamental to who we are as human beings like i have talked i mean at length about my thing for halloween but um since the valid thing doesn't exist anymore i'll just briefly mention it um like for me like they live was like my first exposure to him and that was like almost like a seismic shift in my tiny brain. Cause it was just like that the world around you that you like see, isn't necessarily the way it actually is. 
And I think that's kind of the thing with, with this movie was the thing you talked about, like when he basically turned, makes that turn into that alley and it all kind of turns into the way it is. And I feel like that's a, a really good uh, examination of that theme yet again of like, oh, hey, so as like regular suburban white people, you don't know shit. Like this is really what the world is like. You just fucking refuse to see it. So therefore you just pretend it doesn't exist. It isn't there. And I do think like, I am fairly cynical by nature. Like I'm not necessarily somebody who is like the biggest believer in like the supernatural by any stretch, but like, I definitely feel like there are like, as you mentioned like the whole, like uh she vampire, there's it's like I feel like I, it's like I'm like Fox Mulder. Like I want to believe. So like watching stuff like this makes me really happy because it's just like the idea that magic exists upsets me less than the idea that like there are like I mean yeah they're aliens but like fucking just people if you really want to break it down and they live they're like oh no the world around you is totally fake <laughs> like. That's not better. Like, I'd, I'd rather have the magic and the fucking, like, lightning fingers and all that shit than the alternative. Yeah, no, 100%. I actually find it funny that uh, at the beginning of the film, when Kurt is uh, broadcasting on his CV radio, that he literally says, you know, uh, he basically says that he believes in aliens. And it kind of, like, gives you a hint that this is going to, you know, maybe there's going to be some science fiction elements, there's going to be some aliens. And then, nope, complete other direction. <laughs> We got monsters, we got underground uh, magic, we got wizards, we've got things that could be gods in other franchises. You know, it's it, it's funny how they set up one kind of film and then immediately turn it on its head. Similar to They Live, but not, not as much. And it, it's just one of those things where so much of this film feels, like you said, ahead of its time, even if only by 10 years or so. Like you said, it, it, if this came out in the 90s, it wouldn't surprise me. The effects are so good and still hold up, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, no, I 100% agree, yeah. And the the quality of the actors that they managed to get for this, even the, even the characters that don't get much dialogue or the characters that maybe aren't that important overall, everybody is giving 100%. There isn't that one character that you just go, ah, well, they, they, they were clearly just there for the paycheck. No, everybody is giving way more energy than they need to. It's It's... Clear that everybody was enjoying themselves. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the thing I think is like, that's kind of what makes it, I feel like I find the kind of grasp is like, that's like the, that's also the reason I also like uh, Escape from LA more than I feel like most people do. Uh, because like, it feels like everybody involved was having a good time making it. So that kind of reflects to me in the actual final product. And it's similar to this where it's like, I feel like, you can tell the things where like it was fully like a good time on set. You can feel that like it 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 just makes its way outside of the frame, outside of your TV, and like into your soul. And uh, that's the thing I think that this that makes this movie so fun is you can feel how like the energy on that set became that film that now still is important like decades later. Yeah. Uh, it also makes me chuckle because thankfully nobody has said it yet, but I know one day some idiot out there is going to go, let's reboot this film. And um, <laughs> They tried. Did you not remember that? They tried. The oh, Rock no, no, no. tried. Uh, yeah, no, I remember somebody tried and it never yeah, got anywhere. Tried. Yeah. 
Oh god, that wouldn't have worked. But it anyway, it still might happen. Who the fuck knows? Because the Black Adam took a fucking decade to make, so it's entirely possible it happens. But I doubt oh, it. Yeah, I know uh, that that whole film is hilarious to me. But um, the thing that that stuck out to me, like from a modern perspective, is Jack is basically being a content creator or a radio presenter, but like on his CV radio. You know damn well <laughs> if they remade that today. He would be like a Twitch streamer or something, you know? They would <laughs> they would totally modernize it, which would in turn ruin the whole point of his character. And I just couldn't help but laugh at the fact that he's out here doing what pretty much half the country wants to do these days, but he's doing it with just a CV radio and whatever other trucks happen to be listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I I I that's thing is I was like, I my only thing is I don't necessarily want them to remake it by its imagination. But even if they did and it failed, I wouldn't care. Because like, that's something I always think is funny. People get like really upset like when things are getting remade. I'm like, why? Like, who gives a shit? Like, in the end, like, I don't like Rob Zombie's Halloween. And I definitely don't like it anywhere near as much as I like John Carpenter's Halloween. But it's not like they came to my house and took my fucking disc when they made Rob Zombie's Halloween. Like, it's not like you have to, like, you don't have to watch that movie. Like, it's like, so that's like, if they didn't, if the, if the Rock one ever did happen, I wouldn't be, like, against watching it and if it sucked i would just forget it existed like who gives a fuck but i do i i would not be surprised if somebody did pick up that ip especially by virtue of the fact that like <laughs> at this point with the way that ips are being mined like it's just it feels like an inevitability <laughs> like at a certain point i i'll be honest i don't think i i wouldn't envy the people that said they wanted to reboot this because it's such a weird film. I genuinely don't know if you could remake this and it still actually be Big Trouble in Little China because so much of it is, it, it requires a certain level of just not caring, of just doing whatever the hell you want and making it up as you go. And I just think that films are so made by committee and corporatized now that so many elements that made this film so beloved would immediately be taken out because oh that wouldn't work or oh people people won't accept that or this this doesn't work 30 40 years later and it's like well what are you going to replace it with uh uh quips everybody loves quips we'll do that you know yeah no i mean i i do agree but it's just like, I know that they were trying for like a long time in the 2000s to like remake uh, Escape from New York. Um, so it's like, again, I wouldn't be surprised at that eventually. Like, I mean, because like, again, I feel like anything with like name recognition is at this point, like Studio C is brand recognition. So therefore they're like, oh, hey, we can like trick people into seeing this movie based on that. And it works like most of the time. So like, I mean, whatever, like I can't, you can't really argue with it by virtue of the fact that like, Oh no, 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 no. They're not only successful. I'm not saying I don't understand why, why studios want the name brand. You know, that, that is kind of the whole argument in and of itself that basically people just want to make a brand new movie, but they know nobody would be interested. So they slap the name of an old movie on it and go, it's a remake. It's our own interpretation of the original source material. And it just so happens to be absolutely nothing like the version you've already seen and beloved and made millions because we didn't actually want to do that. And, but we still needed the name. So you'd sit in the cinema. Love us. <laughs> I mean, as I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want them to do it. I just like it. Cause I mean, but I say that again, it's like, it's like also like the, another example is like Carpenter's The Fog. They remade The Fog. I still to this day have not watched the remake of The Fog and I am very unlikely to. So like, if I, they 
I actually did because I didn't actually realize it was a remake when I watched it. Oh, oh, buddy. Um, <laughs> and I, the, the, the only, th- well, no, I actually didn't mind it. I mean, I didn't actually really like it either because I'm not, I don't really like, uh, this is the conflicting statement. I don't like films that are just going to leave me feeling depressed. Like I have enough of that in the real world. I don't go to escapism to feel even more fucking depressed. And <laughs> the ending of that film is horrific. Uh, not in like, gore or anything but it's just such a down moment to end on and the rest of the film it's too realistic for me and it it drove me mad especially since uh i would have watched it years ago and then it kind of happened in real life with the whole lockdown and paranoia and pandemic and then everything that was kind of happens in all these films where some crazy nut job starts preaching shit that we've all decided is outdated and irrelevant well now everybody's scared they want to believe it again because they'd rather believe in something than nothing and that terrifies me that people can be so easily manipulated and led but the last few years have kind of proven we're not much more advanced than we think we are and that's wait really a minute, off wait, topic, a minute, wait a minute but... wait a minute are you thinking of the mist <laughs> I am thinking of The Mist. I was going to say, I was like, you're describing a good movie. Like, what the fuck? I was like, I am not shit-talking The Mist. I am shit-talking the remake of The Fog. <laughs> like, the uh, remake of The Fog, I'm pretty sure is dog shit. So don't watch that ever. Oh, well, in that case, I haven't seen it. I get the... Oh, good. Yeah. There's t- the Mist and The Fog. Oh, they're so different. <laughs> I'm Okay, they are different films. But yes, no, title-wise, they're not that different. That's why, like, I've mentioned The Fog to people before. They were like, they, this is not the first time... I've had this conversation where somebody starts talking about like the the mist, and I'm like, wait, that's not that's not the same thing. They're like, oh, it's not. I'm like, no, it's not the same thing. Yeah, well, like I said, horror stuff isn't well, wasn't my forte. I do like horror, but it has to be a specific kind of horror, um, like this, for example, uh, where it's it, it, the horror elements are supernatural. They're they're not real. Uh, you can give me the scariest, most terrifying monster. And I will be fine with that and enjoy it. I don't care how gory it gets. The horror aspect is fine. The horror I can't stand is the real world because it's like, yeah, I'm aware of the real world shit. And I might not be here next year because I can't afford to keep a roof over my head. Thank you for reminding me. (laughs) Good time had by all. (laughs) I mean, I do love horror, but I understand your point. No, actually, I think it's funny. I don't know if you, uh, because he's not a big horror guy. Have you ever seen Creepshow? Uh, I've seen bits of Creepshow. Uh, so fun fact, my wife is a horror nerd, but we differ on the types of horror we like. Uh, we have Creepshow, uh, and she's definitely seen it, and I think I was in the room when she rewatched it one evening. Um, I like that sort of thing. That's fine. No, I, I was going to say, because um, the little monster that's in Jack's truck at the end of the movie reminds me of Fluffy from Creepshow. Oh, yeah, it does, 100%. Now you've said it. I hadn't even put that together. Yeah, I love that because like, I, I mean, I love Creepshow, but um, but yeah, no, I, I, that's the other thing is I was going to say is like the whole thing of like the design of everything in the movie, like the sets, the costumes, the monsters, like the special effects, like from top to bottom, everything is fucking gorgeous, like fucking immaculate. Like that's the thing I think is kind of like not given enough credit in terms of like this movie is like. I mean, I talked about it in like a little bit ago, but like it just, I feel like it can't be overstated, like how much like everything, vis- every visual choice made is absolutely not only the right one, but it is like something that nobody else would have thought of, which is why I feel like it got ripped off so 
like haphazardly over the years because everyone wished they thought of like the the various like things that are at the edges of this movie like in terms of like just everything everything about this movie visually is fucking amazing yeah and it and it it blends so much stuff together that i feel like again has been done since but i feel like this is one of those films that really started to do that you've got supernatural magical elements you've got monsters you've got martial arts you've got uh gun work and really intricate these massive huge battles and then it all comes down to like uh two wizards going at it and then like they get these avatars of knights with swords and there's so much being just shoved together and then you get all this background uh information on like the state of the world and like you say it's so much bigger than you think it is and we kind of know all this stuff and all this stuff happened thousands of years ago and you know there's all of these different gods and these demons and lopan is like the worst evil spirit and i love the fact that they just get uh, they sprinkle that in but they don't ever explain it because a they don't want to take the time to explain it to jack because they don't have the time but also it it, it means that Jack can be the guy on the sidelines that like, nah, I don't, I don't believe this. This is ridiculous. But he doesn't do it in such a way that makes him annoying. He does it in such a way that I can see a lot of the audience being like, what the hell is going on? And then Jack literally goes, what the hell is going on? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, he is, he is so much the, the audience in this film that it's, it's silly how much sometimes he kind of almost breaks the fourth wall because I laughed so much eventually when it clicked in my head when after they have the big alleyway fight and they manage to retreat back to Wang's uncle's house and he's like, I don't understand what just happened. We were in the middle of a martial art fight and then some guys came in on wires, started flying around all over the place and kicked everyone's ass. And then my brain went, yeah, that's exactly what happened because they would have been on wires behind the scenes. Like... <laughs> I don't know if that was deliberate or not, but either way, that made me laugh. No, yeah, I mean that's the thing is like I do also think that's kind of cool. Is like um, even though it does, it's like the this is like one of the last I think American movies that didn't really have that like um influence from what was happening in Asia at that point, like because like you ended up like not even that many years later of um like john woo like influencing everything and like the stuff that like jet lee was doing like influence like it's like all that kind of shit eventually kind of like seeped in and like took everything over i feel like this is like the last movie that really had that like it, it was it was new school enough in terms of like the special effects and stuff but like in terms of like the way that it was staged a lot of it was like one of the last times it was just like good old-fashioned like the American on Kung Fu, like, which I, I always think is like, looking back at it now, it's so quaint. It's, it's, it's so cute. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is I actually really like the fights. I mean, no, I, lo I love them. I'm not in any way shitting on them. I'm just saying, I think it's funny, like the way like they're staged versus like the way they became and never have gone back to, especially like after the Matrix, like the way that like things were then versus the way things are now. It's just funny to look back at it now and be like, oh. Like, it was just dudes just doing, like, just being impressive fighters. Like, it wasn't, like, in any way, there was no real cheats to it. Like, it was all just, like, dudes fighting their fucking hearts out. Well, that's what I mean. Like, 
all of the people that were in it that were doing the stunts that were doing the fights they're so well known either as actors or as stuntmen and it's so funny seeing so many of them all in one place at one time and then they just basically go at it in every sequence that they're in and even even the the three storms the dudes with the big hats i mean they get to show off that they aren't just there to be special effects ridden they also are pretty good martial artists and i find it so so funny that you've got all these amazing martial artists like you say without the influence of hong kong or mainland china which as you rightly said would come in uh, a few years later and they managed to put together this amazing uh work it has weapons it has fusions with technology and it has that a lot of elements that very much would become the standard that come from the Wuxia films over in China and the wire work. And here they are doing it before any of that influence arrived. And it's just as good and it works just as well, but it's got a total different feel to it. And I think that's part of the reason why this film feels so different 40 years later, just like it did at the time, because you could, I, I struggle to point to another film and go, oh yeah, that's, that's kind of on the same vibe. You know, no, yeah, that's that's a hundred percent. Like that's that's the thing is like I feel like that was it was so it was so original that there are certain things. The, the closest movie I can think of in terms of like being similar to this is actually not that similar at all, but um, is like Scott Pilgrim uh, from Edgar Wright because it has like a similar vibe of like being very like hard hitting but also being very silly but also feeling real and grounded when it has to and like having major stakes to it i do like that's the closest i can think of as far as like a successor um because again like it just like and, and even that that took like 25 years to even happen like after this so it's like that that the would fact be that, like that would be an amazing double bill. I'm just gonna say, if you oh, did totally. big, big Trouble in Little China and then Scott Pilgrim versus the World, that would be a good night. Like I feel like the closest now, and I and I, I okay, this might sound insulting, and I don't really mean it to be, because um, I do like the movie, but um, is I feel like um, Shang Chi was kind of going for that, but failed. didn't. I, I wouldn't go as far as utterly failed. I would. <laughs> but like i do feel like it's i i feel like visually that's what they were going for and i feel like in a lot of ways tonally it was what they were going for it just they also didn't completely understand how to achieve which again i don't think necessarily like if we're comparing uh edgar Ed, edgar scott pilgrim and big trouble um I don't think necessarily Edgar completely achieved it either, but I feel like he was kind of more successful by virtue of the fact that like, I feel like he had a greater understanding of what he was trying to achieve, like what Carpenter was trying to achieve. Whereas I feel like when the people that made Shang-Chi were trying to do it, it was more like, well, this is what this movie is. And I'm like, yeah, but you didn't, you, 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 you got the general shape of what you were looking at, but you didn't actually see it. So like you, you kind of like, you got, an idea of what you like you it's like it's like they basically wanted to do something that was in the vibe of big trouble in little china meets like uh crouching tiger and i was like but you didn't really completely nail either because you didn't completely seem to get what made those work 
because I feel like the big part of what makes Big Trouble work is that like it's not something that you can. Like, and I also think this reason it didn't necessarily do that well financially is it doesn't really fit particularly into any real genre per se. Like, is it a comedy? Is it a action movie? Is it a like martial arts film? Is it like uh, like a sci-fi fantasy like horror genre thing? Like, it's it's it, the answer is yes. I mean, all of those. It's it's all of those things. It doesn't settle any of them. And it's because it's constantly keeping all these plates spinning that it works. And I feel like a lot of people can't do that. And I don't necessarily know that, like, even if you had the same team doing it again, I don't know if you could have done it again. Because it's just, it's so, it's immaculately crafted, but it's also, like, feels like it could spin out of control at any moment. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's lightning in a bottle, and lightning doesn't strike twice, allegedly. But um, to your point about uh, Scott Pilgrim, I feel like he Edgar Wright had a huge advantage because Scott Pilgrim was already written. Obviously, he had the graphic novel to refer to, and that graphic novel and the name of the writer escapes me. Um, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley. That's it. Uh, I feel like he definitely knew what he wanted to make, and it definitely had some inspirations from this. Mm. Shang-Chi, on the other hand, I feel like that was trying to be Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Light. You know, House of Flying Daggers, Light. It was, and I, I really hate this phrase, but it is the one that fits. It was Baby's first martial arts film. <laughs> <laughs> and the way they marketed that kind of is what sold me on that's what it was. Because you had a bunch of people trying to convince the world that they've done something before that you've never seen. It's a bunch of Asians doing martial arts <laughs> we are the first people to ever do this in the world and the rest of us are going no you fucking ain't <laughs> but that is so hard how they marketed it and i actually like shang chi i will just stress for everybody listening i haven't done an episode on it i don't know if i ever will but i did actually like it rest in peace brad allen you did some fantastic fight work on that before you went but the fact that they got so many jackie chan members i think andy cheng worked on that as well I loved all of that stuff. It was the the problem for me is that film is anchored in MCU-ness. And I say this as someone that likes the MCU, but I can feel the hand of the MCU executives coming in and going, okay, you've had your fun. Now we need a big light beam, a CGI monster. We need to sell the fact that this is a superhero and not just a guy that throws roundhouse kicks. And these 10 bracelets of power, because they're not rings for some reason, <laughs> they have to do like more stuff and to me that was kind of where it all went a bit wrong uh if they make another one i hope they are allowed to just hone in on they're a martial artist with these rings of power because all of that i really liked and it just it just kind of felt like it got lost as it went on no yeah i i actually totally agree with you like cause that's my, cause my, my I, I talked i remember talking to rob when it first came out was i was like I they completely lost me at the end because you mentioned the, the big CGI. I'm like, that's my thing is like because it, be, it it loses the entire human element when it just becomes this big kaiju fight. And I love kaiju movies. Don't get me wrong, but it's like you've made me care about Godzilla. You made me care about King Kong. You made me like whatever. So it's like, but whereas you're just throwing fucking dragons in at the end of this just for the sake of it, and I'm just like, I don't fucking care. Like that's my only thing is like I just don't. I cared about the Mandarin versus Shang-Chi fight because like that you've invested me in that. 
then you instantly switch gears into this big CGI thing where it's I just don't fucking you didn't I'm not I don't care like it doesn't matter, and that's why this movie like Big Trouble works is because it never does that. Like, it never disengages you from the narrative. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I was just I was just gonna say the same thing. Like Lopan is the villain of this film, and this is something that I've noticed with a lot of films. They struggle to make villains these days and if we're going to keep just keep the mcu allegory going for a minute as i said in the second episode of this show to mike when we were talking about spider-man no way home the reason why so many people responded to willem dafoe being the green goblin again is because for most people they've never seen a villain like that because the green goblin is an asshole why because he likes being an asshole and killing people is fun there ain't no ulterior motive. There ain't no sympathetic origin story that's going to make you put a hashtag that Green Goblin was right. He just likes to kill people because it's fun. And if he can hurt other people while he's doing it, fucking A, bonus points achieved. And Lopan is exactly the same. He's a evil spirit. Yes, he is trapped, but he's trapped because if he gets free, he's going to conquer the universe. He's not trapped because somebody misinterpreted his love and sentenced him to 2000 years on earth because they don't like the fact that he was you know getting strong he's a monster in a person's uniform essentially a wolf in sheep's clothing no that thing is like and that, but and I, again i do think that that's the thing that they kind of makes it work is like you have because that's the whole thing is like i think that carpenter always understood really well was um because because your point is valid like that's the whole thing is like if you you can have a hero that is like a more impressive because I feel like to use like the escape movies, like I don't feel like either villain, either escape movie is anywhere near as like I don't want to say impressive, but fuck it. Um as the Snake Bliskin character. But like they still manage to hold their own. And that's kind of my whole thing with this, where it's like I wouldn't necessarily say that I feel like almost Lopan almost overshadows um, the heroes because he's just so fucking cool. But at the same time, because Kurt Russell is doing full on like Kurt Russell, like shtick and like you have Dennis Dunn being like the noble, like hero who's doing like the badass like martial arts it does make it feel like a legitimate conflict of like good versus evil in a way that that makes it work in a way like what you were saying. Cause that is true where a lot of like nowadays, because that's like the whole thing is like, I mean, the she kids use the MCU. It's like the whole thing with the Thanos is like when I was growing up reading comics, like there was never any question in my mind that Thanos was evil. Like that Thanos was a bad guy. And then they do the movie, they do uh, Infinity War, and it's like Thanos is, I mean, Christ, by the by virtue of the directors even saying it, like, it's essentially a hero's journey with Thanos as the hero, which is fucking weird as shit. Like, that is such a weird choice. I mean, the movie is awesome, and I enjoy it, and I love Josh Brolin's take on Thanos and everything, but like, the point is valid, where it's like, when they're, when Thanos is talking about like his plan, it makes 
sense. Like, it's fucking, it shouldn't, and it's horrifying, but, like, it makes sense. Whereas, like, in the case of, like, Lopan, it's, it's exactly like you said, where it's just like, no, this guy is legitimately just, there's no redeeming value. Like, there's literally nothing about this guy you like, which is what you shouldn't, like, you should never like a villain. Like, that's the thing is, like, I mean, Christ, even, like, the best, like, other martial arts movies, like, I mean, Christ, like, the whole reason any of the movies that, like, anyone loves are as beloved as they are on, a, on a, like, most levels is because it breaks down to, like, the idea of just, like, good and evil, which is kind of lost now. But I also, I mean, I do think there is room to show, like, Shades of Grey in terms of, like, certain genre but like when you're doing something like this because in mean, this movie is also it's very close to being comic movie even before comic movies really even a thing and that's what makes that work is it's mythical battles of good versus evil like it's not like kind of good versus kind of evil like it's like no this person is legitimately good this person is legitimately bad and like it's like they are fighting for the soul of the fucking universe. So like that gives it weight and stakes. Yeah, and I think it works as well because it's good versus evil. Like you're like you say, it's the soul of the universe. Everything hangs on what they do. And who are the people fighting for the universe? Well, it's a guy that knows martial arts and a guy that knows how to talk but has never actually done anything. You know. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's, it's your average man and, uh, basically forced into a situation that he is woefully unprepared for trying to do the best that he can. And I think one of the reasons why people like the character of Jack, but maybe perhaps not a reason they want to admit is because he's basically what everyone would end up doing in that situation that doesn't immediately panic because it's like, yeah, of course I can do this. It's like, and I love that, like, when he, when he kills someone, and he has that look on his face like, oh, my God, I've just killed someone. And then the other guy's like, oh, is that the first time you plug someone? And he's just like, no, of course it's not. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it is, pal. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love that. And it's like he he takes one of the storms hostage at one point, And for his efforts, he's rewarded with one of the few scenes that makes me laugh uncontrollably every time. And that is when he goes backwards in a wheelchair down that ridiculously long <laughs> yeah. ramp. Yes. The, the way Kurt Russell screams of terror as he's like, oh, what the hell is happening? I just, it just never ceases to make me laugh uncontrollably. No, that's really, I love that set piece. Like, where it's just like going, well, that's the thing is like, I think that's also the thing that Kurt Russell, I think, doesn't get enough credit for in this movie is I always think it's funny and it gets better um, in terms of like, I mean, obviously, yeah, like, as like, the thing I said, like, I mean, yeah, you want the noble and true hero, but like, it's also really, it's always really effective when you have a guy who is like positioned as like a badass who, when you like put their feet to the fire, is like, ah! like they're just like, they react like you would react. And it's like, it makes it that much, or even like weaker. It just makes it that much, it makes it A, that much more impressive when they actually do impressive things, but also it makes, it grounds them, makes them more human and it makes it, because then you have things like the thing is like like Kurt Russell going down that ramp it's funny because he's positioned as like 
the guy who's going to get you all out of this. And he's the guy who, by sheer blind luck, didn't die at that moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And to go back to what you were saying about Lopan being such a great villain, when you think about it, there's a big, you know, I, I understand why why people want to make the villains sympathetic sometimes, why they want to make them likable. Because villains are ultimately super popular. They always end up with the best lines. They often end up getting the coolest sequences by nature of the fact that they're the villains and they don't have to play by the rules. And Lopan kind of does that here as well, because A, he gets run over by a truck and then he just stands up like, okay, big deal. I, I don't <laughs> care. But he literally takes the love interests of both of the main characters and marries them and is like, right, I got both your girls. Now what are you going to do about it? Like the disrespect he gives the main characters in this. It's just on another level. Yeah, that, that is like that is that is that is good stuff. <laughs> and also I, I have to say, I have to give a specific scene in this film a shout out because Kim Cattrall, I, I think that's how you say her name. I'm sorry yeah, if I'm saying it wrong. I think so. She has one of the hardest scenes in the entire film, not from an acting point of view, but it's the scene in which her and uh most of the characters who come to the rescue end up getting captured and they're in the prison. Jack and Wang go in to rescue them. Everybody else is just in the prison cell normally, like they're not tied up or restrained. Then it cuts to Kim's character, Gracie, who is not just tied, she's hog tied and the rope is around her neck connected to her ankles. If she relaxes, every time she relaxes her feet, which you have to do because of the way muscles work, she is essentially <laughs> throttling herself. And she's gagged, and her hands are tied. And every time I watch that scene, I think, I feel like we've missed something here. Because she is, <laughs> her character is such a troublemaker. We all know why she's the one that's tied. It's, there's no question of that. But there is apparently a deleted scene that explains that she basically was driving the guards insane because she would not shut up. And uh, there's an interview with Kim, and they asked her about filming that, and she basically said, it, 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 there, there wasn't any fakeness in that restraint. Like that moment when Jack finally cuts the rope. I don't think there's any acting involved there. That relief is genuine. <laughs> <laughs> but she's also, I really like her in the movie. Like, um, it's funny because, like, I feel like she is weirdly like underrated. Is far, I guess because like a lot of the choices that she made. But like in terms of like films and stuff. But like whenever I see her in things, she's always great. Like, I mean, great. I don't care about like Sex in the City, but, um. But like stuff like this, I think that she's really good as like the one because it was like it was she's not necessarily like a like damsel in distress in it, which I think is cool because like that was like I mean, she's not necessarily like the strongest female character that I've ever seen in a film. But like for 1986, like the fact that she has the agency she has is, I think, cool. And I think that Kim Cattrall picks it like she does a really good job bringing that to life like and making it feel important like like make her making that character feel like important like there's nobody in the movie because you probably like the whole cast and like nobody's there for like a paycheck and that's that's true but like also the thing i think is really cool is that like everybody kind of does have ultimately like a reason to be there they're they all have like a like in the ultimate stories being told that they all have a like there's no there's no there's nobody that's there that just like you forget about like even like the most random characters eventually have a purpose and then the ones that are like most 
like positioned as leads that have the both on their shoulders all managed to like feel like in that epic battle that is this movie like they are the strongest soldiers in the fight like in the fight of good versus evil which i think is like she doesn't get enough credit for how well she stands up in this movie because like she's in my mind a stronger character and i mean i don't necessarily mean like a better or more entertaining character but like a stronger character than jack burton like i would say she's probably second only to um like the, the main character as far as like i mean dennis dunn's character as far as like strength goes in the movie no i i agree um her character of gracie is one of the driving forces obviously jack is interested in her pretty much from the word go but that's not why she's in the movie she is more in this world than jack could ever be like i think there's a point early on where jack even says like would everybody slow down i'm kind of feeling like the outsider here and she literally turns around to him and says you are <laughs> and um the fact that yes she she does have that one scene where she needs rescuing in inverted commas she's not a damsel though because everybody needed rescuing like the only yeah. reason she's in that position is because they were trying to rescue kurt russell and dennis dunn in the first place and then they have to return the favor because nobody knew they were walking into a trap now even later in the film where they realize that she also has green eyes because apparently somehow that escaped everybody's notice up until a certain <laughs> point which is the one problem i do have with it that's my only complaint is she has glistening green eyes throughout the whole film and nobody thinks to notice but um when she is captured a second time and is like chained up in the basement and then she gets put under the same spell that mao yin is and unlike yin she constantly like seems to break free from the spell she doesn't get a chance to do anything because she's like constantly under guard but it shows how much of a, a fight that her character puts up compared to maybe Mao Yin, who basically spends the entire film waiting to be rescued, which I like the juxtaposition between the two of them. Neither one of them is a bad character, but you see a lot more of Gracie than you do Mao. And at the end, when she does finally get the spell broken, when they have that big assault on the base, she immediately turns around and just backhands the guard that's behind her. And it's like, that tells you all you need to know about her character, in my opinion. No, yeah, that's, you know, I com I completely agree. Like, I think that like that thing is like I I feel like uh the Mao Yin definitely that character is more damsel than um Kim Cattrall's character, but like that's it's the thing I was saying before. We're just like I feel like to a large extent, like every one of them does manage to like they 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 all manage to impress in their own ways. Like I I I do love all of those characters very very much. I also love how what would these days be maybe not as heavily worked on is that spider monster when they're all underground that comes out of the wall because there's so much detail on that model but it's literally there for three seconds and then it's gone but i bet <laughs> yeah. that took them weeks to make that thing yeah i mean i feel like again like all of the like all of the weird shit in the movie like whether it be like the fluffy monster the little like floating being like whatever um christ even like um when i i did i mean is the storm's name just wind i don't know um like uh, when he like blows up there's there's lightning thunder and i'm pretty sure the last one's wind 
Okay, yeah, I, so wind. I, okay. No, I lied. It was rain. Damn it. It's rain. <laughs> but like when um like when he like blows up, like that's such a cool fucking visual thing of like when he like starts to like blow up and like all like Oh yeah, yeah, it's thunder that yeah. blows up. It's so fucking cool to look at. So like all of the like again, like it's just all the visual all the attention that was paid to the visuals making this, it just it, I feel like that's a big part of why not only it's influential, but why it holds up is because like just nothing else comes close. Like nothing else looks like it. And it's like, even for shit, like you just said, like where it's like, it's barely fucking in the movie. They still paid a lot of fucking care and attention to making sure that like, they did not take shortcuts. They didn't halfway shit. They just fucking went full out balls to the wall. And it's as cool as everything else in the movie. And I think that's fucking, that, that's really cool. Like that's really, that, that, that shows but that should have been more rewarded in terms of like attention at the time and money at the time, because like, I feel like everybody involved clearly put their fucking whole heart and soul into this movie and like every element of it. And it's just, it's just, it's so cool. Like it's just, it's so, it's just impressive. Like it's just, it's nobody necessarily tries that hard at this point. And like everybody in 1986 was trying this hard, this moment in this movie that like ultimately at the time, nobody cared that much about it. And then it caught on. But, like, at the time, nobody gave a fuck. And, like, people killed themselves for it. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I also love something that I feel like a lot of people try to do with mixed success is I love the setup and payoff that the writers and Carpenter did with Jack's character in that he is the idiot. He's the comedy relief. He's not the hero of the story but he also kind of is because he's the one that kills Lopan but it's for a stupid ass reason that's set up way before all the weird stuff happens and that is that everything about him it's all in the reflexes <laughs> and the fact that they they set that up with what you think is just a throwaway sort of character building moment between him and Wang and like that's what kind of sets the whole story off of why they're together because Wang owes him money and then at the end Lopan could have used any magic spell or any demonic power of his that he wanted, and Jack would have been dead. But because Lopan was arrogant, he wanted to kill him with his own knife, and he throws the knife, and Jack catches it and throws it back before Lopan has a chance to react. I love that so much because it was already set up right from the word go, and it's all of the reflexes. It's such a great payoff to what you don't even realize is a setup right at the start of the film. Oh yeah, that's like the Shane Black thing. I remember him talking about um, like setup and payoffs. He's like, the like the way that you do it properly is this thing at the beginning of the movie that you've by the time that like it's come time to pay off, you've almost completely forgotten about. But then like when they actually do it, you instantly have that flicker recognition, and it's so satisfying. That's the thing is like, I feel like that's what that. Yeah, that's what that's what makes that work so well is like because it's it was set up and then just nothing like the longest time just ignored, just kind of like filed the back of your brain to be forgotten until finally it does come to pass and becomes the big heroic moment of the whole fucking movie. It just it's it's something I would have liked to have seen with like a proper audience even though I don't know that there was ever like a packed house, but like I was like, I would, I feel like that would have been a big fucking pop of a moment. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's made all the more funny with the fact that 
Jack is never allowed to just have a proper serious heroic moment. I mean, he does have a couple in the film, but there's always an an undercut or it's right after something's gone wrong. And the entire last sequence, when he's trying to act like a badass, he has no idea that he has got smeared lipstick on from Gracie. And it's just so funny seeing him try to act, as you said, like a John Wayne type character, whilst his whole face is just a smear of of red lipstick. It's just (laughs) so funny. No, yeah, I, I, I do think like the thing. Like, I, I feel like, especially like Kurt. That thing is like, I feel like that's why he and Carpenter were kind of like soulmates in terms of like they were like the like the Scorsese De Niro of that time. They just like they seem to completely understand what the other needed to make the best possible thing, and like and make every moment count, and they just every fucking time managed to hit like it just it's every fucking it's 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 actually amazing to watch yeah i mean i think one of the most memed or iconic or well-known moments of the film is when they all assault uh lopan's base they have the final big brawl they have the confrontation but before that all kicks off they have the moment where all the characters are like yeah and Jack's character decides to join in by doing the very American, I have a gun, so I'm going to shoot up into the sky. <laughs> but he ends up shooting up the ceiling and the ceiling caves in and lands on his head and knocks him out. And that just encapsulates everything about this film. And I see that memed or gift so much that all these years later, that particular part of the film, so many people use that and I'll bet they don't even know where it's from. Oh, that's probably, I'm, I'm sure that's probably true. Like, that's, I mean, but that's the thing is like, that's kind of the thing I was talking about before, like, at the start of this. I feel like that's the case with so much of this movie is it's like, it's so, it's been so, like, taken from bits and pieces here and there. And then, like, second hand, third hand, fourth hand, fifth hand, like, it's so seeped into all aspects of pop culture, into like film that, like, I feel like there's tons of shit in this movie that people that have never seen it would watch and recognize without even knowing like what, like what that they had not only seen it before, but probably had either used it in terms of like a gif or a meme or something. But like, it's just, I don't know. It's just like, it's that's the thing is I think is kind of its greatest achievement in the end is that like, it's managed to completely ingratiate itself into popular culture, into the fabric of popular culture in a way that I don't think it's ever going to leave. No, I agree. And and I think what makes me smile is it's so ingrained in everybody's minds in pop culture, whether or not people realize it. And yet the film itself is all about subverting expectations and not doing what you'd expect and making it up as it goes. And yet so much stuff is borrowed from it and tried to emulate it. And I feel like they've completely missed the point of why this works because it's unique. You can't just recreate it, but it's inspired so many people to do their own weird stuff that I feel like of all the Carpenter films, this is the one that for some reason people get attracted to and it still gets talked about. And yeah, don't get me wrong. I agree with you. There are better films and there are other films that are still just as beloved now, but this is the one that in my opinion, all the weirdos get attracted to. And I say that with love as a weirdo. And it, it, for some reason, just works. And on paper, it shouldn't. But in execution, it does. And that's the John Carpenter magic. Yeah, amazing. I feel like, um, like, let's say, like, Halloween had a more immediate impact because, like, fucking 
everyone ripped off Halloween, like after Halloween. And to to an extent, like to this day, you're still feeling the echoes of that. And I don't mean just in terms of like they're making Halloween movies, like Halloween kills, Halloween ends. Um, I mean, like just in terms of like the vibe and like the like the way you make slasher movies, it's so like it's just they it, it kind of he created the template that kind of everybody kind of took from. Whereas I think this was just kind of a slower burn version of that, where it's like it didn't have an immediate impact, but it like it was just the thing. It kind of slowly like snowballed and snowballed and snowballed and snowballed to the extent that people don't know necessarily that it wasn't like a hit when it came out because like it was just kind of, it wasn't, but like it was something that at this point, it's so much time has passed since then. And there, you, movies that didn't do well, let's say like, I don't think Blade Runner did super well, um, but it's no, remembered it as being, yeah, it's remembered as being this like huge immortal classic the same way that like, E.T. is that came out the same year and E.T. made a kajillion dollars. So it's like, I feel like that's kind of what happened with Big Trouble in Little China and the thing to, a, to an extent is like, kind of the thing with Carpenter in general, is I feel like he was always kind of ahead of the curve and it's just a matter of how far ahead of the curve he was in terms of the movie he was making. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd say that's a, a fair assessment. So I think in all honesty, that's, that's kind of us done talking about uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Is there any specific thing or sweeping statement you you wish to say before we go, if there's something we didn't cover? No, I I, I think we got it all. But yeah, I just, I mean, <laughs> I just like to this day, it's funny because like as far as like the whole um, like thing of like things kind of seeping into, it's like, it's, it's not only anywhere in pop culture, but I did like the other day, I posted the uh, the quote from the end of the movie with Jack where it's about like the basically him in the rain and it's like i posted that on twitter that quote and like it went like people like just fucking loved it and when i was just i was like it's funny how like it didn't to me i always kind of it always stuck with me and but i never really thought about it in terms of like anyone else caring it's not something i ever really heard anyone repeat but uh but when then you see like, a lot of people were like enjoying it and like whatever i was like i feel like that's kind of a perfect encapsulation of the movie i mean granted yeah i mean the main circles in twitter are, that i like that we run in are like nerds like action nerds horror nerds sci-fi nerds whatever so of course they're like big trouble in little china but i do think that's kind of the thing is like i always kind of forget how beloved this movie is until you kind of like put out there something about it and then you see how much comes back and it's just like it's it's, it's heartening to see I think this film, I mean, everybody that I knew growing up had seen this film, which considering some of the stuff I watched was not always the case. So the <laughs> fact that this, and like you say, it is a weird film. And yet everyone I know growing up and still to this day, for the most part, has seen it. Um, and to go back to what we were kind of talking about at the beginning in terms of reboots, I think one of the reasons why reboots can sometimes immediately get a negative reaction and i know the counter to this before you say it but <laughs> but i feel like for a lot of people it's like well that means that the next generation are now never going to watch the original because they will see that there's a new one and they won't even know it's a reboot or a remake but it's funny how this film there isn't another one to watch and yet people 20 years younger are still watching it 
and they still enjoy it. And I know that there are people in our circles, as you said, online that are younger than both of us and they still grew up watching this film and yet they were born maybe in the 2000s and they're now like 20 years removed from this film and yet it's still part of their childhood and i feel like once a reboot happens that starts lessening because now there's competition for which one is the version that you grew up with and I know that the obvious argument to that is that you don't have to watch the reboot. The original's still there. But I do feel like some people, once there's a newer one, that's it. Like the old one's dead. They're never going to watch it because they watch the new one. Does you know what I mean? No, you, I mean, like, I'm not saying you're completely wrong, but I mean, that's the thing is I, that's why, like, I, because the way they were talking about it was like not like a full blown, like a reboot as much as it was like, or like a remake, as much as they thought they did kind of a legacy sequel thing. And I was like, honestly, Again, it, it wouldn't bother me just by virtue of the fact that, like, if it sucks, I just don't, it just ceases to exist in my mind. Like, there's, there's tons of movies that got remakes that I genuinely forget they remade. Like, until, like, somebody brings it up and I'm like, oh, yeah. I, or, or they made, like, sequels to movies that I didn't, like, I've, like, I've said, and I did, I was not being ironic, like, where I was like, it's like, wow, it's so great that The Lost Boys was only, it was just a one-off. Because I genuinely forget sometimes they made straight to video sequels, <laughs> like because it's just, they just didn't matter to me. Like I just like they they existed, and I watched them, and I forgot that they existed. Like it was just like whereas I yeah. keep watching the Lost Boys, so it's like that's kind of my thing with Big Trouble was I'm just like if they did like a legacy sequel or whatever, and it was good, cool. If not, like I will definitely forget it exists. I can't speak for other people, obviously, but like I feel like. If something is good, it will ultimately hold on in terms of like its impact. And it's like, because I feel like it's the thing is like, I feel like the things that are really good and really classic, they just never completely. Because again, even like people who like, there are people I know who absolutely love Rob Zombie's Halloween. And that's fine. And, but like, they we like we exist parallel to one another where it's like that's your thing my thing is carpenters so it's like in in to them this is more important and that's fine and i just i don't agree with them but that's like that thing is like you can't ever like say so like, so yes i mean i'm sure there would be people who saw like a legacy sequel or like a remake of this and were like oh i like this better and like and then and it was like yes would that maybe take away from the original a little bit but at the same time, I don't know if, they, if they, this, those would be the people who really give a shit in the first fucking place. So, like, whatever. Like, in the end, like, no, fuck I, them. I, I, I completely agree. Uh, I think I've said this before, but I have a friend, and I'm sorry, because if you ever listen, I keep using you as the example, but <laughs> he's only ever seen the RoboCop reboot. And oh, God. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And he will not watch the original because, and I quote, it's old. <laughs> wow, that's sucks. Holy shit. Yeah, and that's why I'm like, but the reboot, I mean, it's not terrible, but I know you would love the original, and the things you like in the new one are 20 times more present in the original. <laughs> Just fucking watch it. I don't care that it's old in your eyes. This is, you know, black and white films are old. Robocop is not old. <laughs> 
even been the same, but even like movies that are black and white and actually are legitimately old are still in many cases fucking awesome. So like, but again, it's like there are some people who are just never going to be interested anyway, and I just accept that. Like, it's fine. Like again, it's like the, it's like the Rob Zombie Halloween people. Like, you guys have fun. Like, it's that's your thing. I don't. I have no interest. You you oh, you have it. Hundred <laughs> percent. I I wasn't disparaging black and white uh, films. Like you know, I've seen I I. I quite enjoy black and white. Oh, films I know you're in not. Right I'm just saying mindset. that there's always people who are gonna be like, have weird hangups where they won't watch them, and whatever, that's fine. You do you. Like I don't, I don't, I don't have the, I don't have the patience or the energy. Like you, you, you have fun. That's fine. Anyway, that lovely off-topic rant aside, <laughs> thank you very much for coming on and uh, being part of the uh, weird Halloween theme thing that I got going on, and. Uh, Hopefully, we'll have you back soon. I'm pretty sure that this will come out after your appearance with Andy. So, yeah, after this one's out, we'll have to find something new for you to come back for. All right, that's fine. And yeah, I'm going to hand you over to me of the future now. Well, there you go. You've reached the end. I I really hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I had a blast talking to Patrick. He knows his carpenter stuff. As you heard, we went all over the place. Uh, I hope you enjoyed me talking about the wrong movie for five minutes. The Mist is a strange experience, and I had uh, convinced myself that was connected to the fog. It's not. Uh, also, uh, I talked about the Elite Foot Ninja from the 03 Ninja Turtles series, and just in case anybody is uh, listening and was like, I don't remember them having supernatural powers. Technically, I think you're right, even though their eyes glowed red, which, you know, uh, most people's eyes don't glow red, but... I always interpreted the way they could move around in the smoke and the mist as being somewhat supernatural because I think it was always up to the audiences. I, you know, is it supernatural or is it just really, really good use of smoke bombs? But I'll be blunt, they could literally disappear into thin air where there was nothing around for them to disappear into. So to this day, I'm going to say that they had supernatural powers because smoke bombs made no sense. And if they indeed were using supernatural powers then yeah their similarities to the three storms is even more obvious than it already was i mean their debut episode they are literally in a storm covered by rain with thunder and lightning all around them so i I don't think there's any way they weren't inspired by the three storms as for next week's episode, it is going to be a solo episode it is just going to be me and it is going to be talking about 2022's Saloom, I think that's how you pronounce it, and I'm really looking forward to it. I haven't actually watched it yet, but I will do, and uh, it's the only one of this Spooky Action Cinema Month that we're going to do that is from 2022, and it's probably the only one, no, it is the only one that is going to be a solo episode, so that kind of makes it unique. Uh, I haven't done a solo episode for a bit, so I hope you guys are excited to hear that one. Have a blast, guys, and I shall see you in the next one. On the action.